Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's your host, Rabbi Tovia Kopsty. Welcome back to Our Tribe, the podcast. I am Tuvia Kopstein, and this episode is a treat, as of course all our episodes are. But this is with Levi Chayo. Levi Chayo is CEO and founder of Bellissimo Hats. He is a hat manufacturer, hat designer, a marketer. He's got all of these aspects of his business all under his, uh, you know, all within arm's reach and how he got to doing what he's doing and how he's so involved with it and the meaning of hats and who his audience is. It's the Jewish world, it's the non-Jewish world, the celebrities. Very, very interesting story. And he's full of fire. And we know you're going to love this interview with Levy. But before we start the interview, let me do a little station identification, as is our custom. The Podcast Fellowship is what powers our tribe, the podcast. And the Podcast Fellowship, if you don't know already, is a international Jewish outreach nonprofit that's helping Jewish young adults all over the world connect with local mentors and learn Torah wisdom and discuss it with those mentors and grow in their understanding and their connection to their own heritage. And that is at www.podcastfellowship.org. Check it out. And without further ado, Levi Chayo and Our Tribe, the podcast. Oh, I said without further ado, but just a little further ado, this podcast is generously sponsored for the complete recovery of Nadra May Bas Esther Dahlia. And Chana Rivka Bas Elisheva, the first one is recovering from an eye surgery. The second one is recovering from foot surgery. They should have a complete healing uh, with as minimal discomfort as possible. And thank you to Dr. and Mrs. Noah Levy for that sponsorship. And now, really without further ado, our tribe, the podcast. Okay, we are here with Levy Chayo. How are you doing, Levy? Doing great. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. And you're, you're in Montreal, I understand. Is that correct? Yes, I'm in okay. Montreal, Canada. Okay, I'm here in Detroit, and we have snow on the ground. Do you have snow on the ground? Plenty of snow, yep. Plenty of snow. <laughs> okay, so Levy, you tell, tell us, if you don't mind, tell us, tell our audience, what is it that you do? And then we're going to go to how you got there. So um, I own a hat brand um, called Bellissimo Hat. And we sell hats um, in store and online. We have uh, two stores, one in New York, one in Montreal. And, uh, you know, most of our, our business right now is actually on our website. Um, and we sell all different types of hats from, you know, uh, regular, uh, not regular, but for us, Jewish uh, hats that, you know, Chabad people would wear or Yeshivish people would wear, um, black hats made in Italy, and all the way to custom hats that you can customize on our website. Um, we have a big following on social media of people who are hat enthusiasts, and uh, that's what we do. Fashion brands. Okay, very good. Okay, so we're gonna, we're going to get back to this. I got a lot of questions about the industry. Tell us, how did you get into making hats? I'm sure there's not too many people that are doing what you're doing. There's some, you know, I being in being in the Jewish world for like let's say the hat wearing population for maybe 20 years or so. I know that there's some big brands out there. You can go to a, a suit store in in Brooklyn. And you could find those big brands. How, how do you come to the, how do you come to be one of the hat makers? Um, well, I got into it um, in 2016 or um, 2017, actually 2016. I moved from California 
from Los Angeles to Montreal. I used to own a restaurant in Torrance, California. Um, I started it when I was single, obviously, you know, working day, mornings, nights, working all the time. Um, then I got married, had a child, um, and realized that that wasn't the right lifestyle for me. Um, didn't get a lot of time to spend with the family. And also living in L.A., it's, it's so expensive to live there that, you know, even if you're making a decent amount of money, you're, you're broke over there, you know. So, you know, we made a decision, my wife and I, to move back to Montreal, where her family's from. My family's from New York, so we'd be much closer, be able to see them a lot more often. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I sold my part in the restaurant and I moved uh, to Montreal. Um, and then I just tried, you know, working different jobs. Um, her family, she has a big family with a lot of uh, different businesses that they, you know, they own her cousins and her uncles. Um, so, you know, they were all very excited for me to come. I'm an entrepreneur. I can help them. Um, so, you know, I, I bounced around from one business to another and like not really fitting in. Um, and I guess it was just hard for me to be an employee. I'm not a good employee. Um, did you so, consider you know, opening, I, did you consider opening a restaurant in Montreal? No restaurant wasn't my thing. Um, oh. it, it wasn't, I'm, I'm a hard worker. Um, but you know, for a restaurant, you have to really love the restaurant industry to, to be able to do it and succeed. Because if you're doing it for money, which is why I did it, I was a little pisher. I was, uh, like 19 years old. And these people told me, we'll give you the money if you open the restaurant. Um, so I, I jumped on that opportunity thinking like, where else am I getting an opportunity to start my own business? Um, but in hindsight, you know, um, if you're doing it for money, the restaurant industry is not the right industry. Um, you, you should only do it if you're going to love every minute of working there, which is, wasn't the case for me. So, um, no restaurant wasn't, wasn't my field. Um, but you know, I actually felt bad cause I was working for my cousins, um, who I cared about them. I cared about the business. I wasn't just, you know, coming in to get my paycheck. I really wanted to have an impact, but it just wasn't working. It wasn't my thing. Um, I'm used to, you know, running my own business where I know the whole story. I know A to Z. Um, and here I was, you know, trying to do business development or grow their businesses without really understanding, you know, they're already five years in where they started. Did they try things before? Did they not? Um, so it just wasn't working. And I kind of felt bad, like, uh, you know, I'm not in the right place. Um, and then I had a, a second child and I needed a new hat for his for his bris. And the last hat I got was for my wedding. It was already uh, pretty beaten up. Um, no, just just so, to make it clear you know, that that was for you and not for not for your baby. Right. Yes, that was for me. <laughs> so I could have a nice hat when I, you know, when I'm by the bris. Um, and, you know, I started looking around and there aren't many, you know, there isn't a, a Jewish uh, hat store over here. Um, so, you know, I didn't want to slip down to New York. Um, so I did some research and I found out that there's like a hat factory um, that makes that's been there for 100 years making hats. Um, so I went down there and I, I looked at what they had and they showed me, oh, this is what all the religious uh, Jews buy. And they showed it to me and I'm like, doesn't look exactly like what we wear, but it's close. It's black, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I told the guy, you know, if uh, you want, I could I could, you know, this is not exactly what what the religious community wants. I could help you attract that crowd and I can maybe sell it for you in New York, you know, where there's tons of people. And he's like, listen, you're the, you're the 20th person to come to me with the same idea and the same story. He's like, it's, it's been tried. It's not going to work out. And I'm like, let me try. So, um, my brother who worked with me in the restaurant, also my younger brother, he was coming in for the bris and I told him I have a business idea. And he's like, oh, not again. And he's like, another business idea. I'm like, come in. So we went in and we met with these guys and they said, look, we're happy to, you know, go ahead and try. Our hats never take off in the, in the religious community. They're too, specific of what they want and, and it's not what we what we do i'm like, okay let's try so um 
I told my brother that, uh, you know, we're going to do this exact opposite of what we did by the restaurant. The restaurant, we were $300,000 in before we even opened our doors. I told him over here, we're not going to spend a penny. We're just going to sell the hats. Um, whatever we sell, we'll, we'll, you know, pay for and we won't invest in anything too big. And if it doesn't work out, if people don't like it, we just, we won't continue. Um, so we started, you know, first I, I, I worked with this guy to perfect, you know, got better materials. Um, you know, like softer, lighter materials, change the shapes a little bit because the shapes weren't 100 percent. Um, and we made the hats uh, as good as possible. Um, and then we started selling them and we were really, you know, on the streets, literally during a busy time um, in Crown Heights. We went on the streets, put up a tent, started selling custom hats. Um, you know, we had to differentiate ourselves. So what makes us different? You could customize it. You want any color, any shape, any ribbon. We gave people 100 options and, you know. It's, it was a new thing, but we were really determined, and we slowly built it up. Um, you know, after a few can, years, can I stop? Yeah. Can I stop in the middle there? I have, I have some questions. Sure. When you when you wanted to go in with your brother and 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 tried this, and you said that you weren't going to invest a penny, so was that a deal with the with the manufacturer that you would just get commissions for selling their hats, and there was no investment on no, your part? So it wasn't it wasn't commissions. We started off um, selling custom hats, right. so. Uh, we got him to agree to give us a certain amount of, of samples, okay. um, each sample having a slightly different either brim or ribbon or crown or color. Um, and that way we had kind of one of each option so we could show the customer, here are all the options. These are all the ribbons you could use. These are all the brims you could use. And from that, we would design a hat, um, which for a lot of people was too out there. They're like, no, I have to see it on my head. Um, but we were really determined and, and, uh, you know, we got people to try it and some people liked the idea that they could customize it and add a little blue, uh, you know, ribbon contrast or stitching or whatever. So, so that was cool. Um, but at the end of the day, the quality just wasn't there. We couldn't compete with the big brands. Um, and even though we were less expensive, but we didn't want to be the, the less expensive brand because there could always be a less expensive brand. Next thing you know, someone selling $50 hats, you know, you could go and on Amazon and buy a $20 hat. So we didn't want to be like, that's our thing that we're cheaper. Uh, we really wanted to make the best hat possible and, and sell it for more affordable because the, the prices of the, of the regular hat were just going up and the quality was getting worse. They weren't the same old hats that, you know, I got by my bar mitzvah that people have hats that lasted 10 years. Those don't exist anymore. Even if you're paying the $400, by the big brand, those hats do not last like what they used to. And there's many reasons for that. Number one is because they're not made in the same factories as they used to be. Um, so we decided that we're going to go directly to Italy. Uh, my brother and I took a trip to Italy. Uh, we had it all planned out in advance. We drove from Milan to, to Rome and we met with about 10 factories on our way down. Um, and we got samples from them and we showed them what we need. Um, we got them to make us a bunch of uh, you know test hats that they were going to ship back to us. Until we found, you know, a, a good factory that knows what they're doing. Um, we worked with them on sourcing the material. So we sourced the highest quality material. We told them, you know, straight up, like, you know, the big brand out there, what's their top material? And they showed us exactly what they're using, um, that they're selling for a lot of money. And we, we're selling our hats right now for 270, which, uh, comparably is very affordable, but we're selling like the top of the line. We can't make a more expensive hat. You know, if anything, we're going to come out with a, a less expensive hat as a second option. Um, so in the Jewish world, that's what we did. And right now our hats are selling very well. Um, it's very hard for people to try a new brand because, you know, they're stuck in their ways and they grew up and I look, I can't, I would be the same way. You know, I grew up wearing one brand and I'll wear the same. Um, but slowly but surely we are, we're getting it out there. We're getting the name out there in the Jewish community and it's an uphill battle. You know, we're the, we're the underdogs in that situation. 
Um, in the non-Jewish world, it's a whole nother story. Um, in the non-Jewish world, um, you know, we had some people come to us in New York and they said, oh, you make custom hats. Can you make a blue hat? Can you make a red hat? And we started playing around with it. Um, and our hats are actually, were very popular in the non-Jewish world. We had many celebrities wear our hats and give us shout outs. Um, and, you know, we didn't pay for them. They're just big fans. We have some, some celebrities who are very into hats who own 15 of our hats already. Wow. Um, and in the non-Jewish world. For our, for our audience, can you just name a few of those that they may have heard of? The name drop. Um, yeah, the name drop. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so a few of the big names would be like uh, Jamie Foxx, uh, Snoop Dogg, Cedric the Entertainer. Um, I don't want to forget anyone. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, Jeremy Piven. There's like okay. a lot. We, we have, we've had a lot of celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've actually, we have, we're in talks with some, with some of them for, you know, potential collaborations, mm-hmm. deals, but we didn't go ahead and we didn't go and reach out to their agents and pay them. It was all, you know, from one friend to another. You know, we, we, once we got to one celebrity, we asked, oh, why don't you put us in touch with this guy? Um, so, so that's, that's kind of how we did that. Um, but yeah, in the non-Jewish world, we don't need to go and like, you know, beg people to try us or, or prove ourselves because we're like, we're like the top on social media. From all our real hat enthusiasts that buy hats and all the brands, you know, they like us the best. They see that, that the quality is the best. And that's partially because we grew up wearing hats and we grew up wearing the, you know, the fine Italian made hats. Um, a lot of our competition make cheap wool hats and, and the, the customers don't necessarily know, you know, until they feel it side by side, they don't really get that there's a difference. And we have a competitor that sells $500 hats in the non-Jewish world and they're made out of like really cheap wool and it's like a $35 hat and they're selling it for 500. So, you know, these guys that, that buy from us and they collect hats and they have one hat to match every suit that they have, you know, they feel the difference and they see that, oh, wow, these guys are making real quality hats. So we're, we're making modern hats and we have a 3D option on our website, which is very, you know, uh, technologically advanced. It has a AR, you know, you could use augmented reality. Um, but at the same time, we're using the old, really old machines and the real deal, you know, rabbit and beaver felt. Um, so you're getting the best of both worlds from like the real old style hats. And at the same time with the modern, you know, looks and, and, and the modern touch to it. Okay, let me let me take you back to the original try, trying to break through to the Jewish community. That was that was your start, right? Breaking through the Jewish community, not not marketing yeah. to the non-Jewish. Okay, so just how does it work? You you go to the busy Jewish place and you have different ribbons, different brims, right? Do you say to the customers, pick what you want, and we're going to make it for you and ship it to you? Or, yeah, yeah. So okay, we got so, paid in advance. Yeah, so we were able to pay the factory, and then we shipped the hat. So. It was hard to get people to trust us. We obviously started with family and friends and then our community and they told their friends and, and worked our way outwards. But we did uh, pop-ups in, in places like the Catskills in the summer. Yeah. Uh, we did pop-ups in uh, Miami and some of these pop-ups uh, didn't make us any money. Like if we just covered enough to cover our, our flights, it was, it was worth it. We're like the main objective right now is to get as many of our hats on the streets as possible. And, and in the Jewish world, that's still the, the fact, even though Crown Heights were very well known in Crown Heights, especially with the stunt that we pulled this past uh, Kinos, which I'll, I'll tell you about. Okay. Um, but in, in the world, if you go to Lakewood where they have four hat stores, it's probably um, the busiest place uh, for a hat shop. They probably don't know about us. Most of them, unless they're like, you know, on Instagram. Um, but you know, we're still, we're still the, the smaller brand in the Jewish world. Um, so about the Kinos, there's a, there's a gathering once a year for all the Chabad rabbis of the world um, in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Uh, there were over 5,000 rabbis this year. And um, that's one of our busy seasons, that and, and Pesach and, and the high holidays. 
Um, so this year we decided that we wanted to do something special. That's probably yeah. a busy season because if you have a rabbi in in uh, Poland, he won't have a Jewish hat exactly. shop to go to, right? And he's and he, when he comes back to Brooklyn, where you know the center of it all, he has uh, he has options to to shop for the year. Exactly. Okay, got it. They wait. They wait for their for the kinos to buy all their Judaica needs that they if they need new tzitzis, if they need new, a new yarmulke, a hat, they buy it when they when they come to Crown Heights. So it's usually a busy season. Um, but you know when we were starting out, the first time we actually made a decent amount of sales was by the kinos. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, a lot of these rabbis are not, are not uh, making a lot of money where they are. Um, and they are looking for a deal and they gave us a try because we were, we were less expensive and they came back and they told their friends. So, so we really felt that, that the Chabad rabbis gave us our start in the Jewish world. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to do something special for them. We actually wanted to give free hats to all the rabbis of the kinos. That was our original plan. Um, so obviously it would be a very expensive couple hundred thousand dollar deal. Um, so we started fundraising for it and we started going to people and we got some pledges here and there. Um, but at the end of the day, we didn't get enough pledged and even the people who pledged didn't give us the money. And at some point the hats have to go into, into manufacturing if you want to get them in time. Right. Um, so we decided we're going to, we're going to switch plans. Um, and we decided that we're going to fund it ourselves. Um, but instead of giving them out for free, we're going to charge the, the rabbis $99, which is basically free. Same idea. Um, but just so we could, and we had to take some cost loans price. for it because again, that's what that would be cost uh, price, yeah, manufacturing b- price. About. Below, yeah. below cost. We, we oh. lost some money. We had to oh. do a lot of, uh, you know, we had to get storage contain, um, containers just to store the hats because we didn't have enough space in our, in our Brooklyn store. And, uh, we had to hire extra staff and, and we even had to market it just so they know about it. Um, so we had over 3,000 rabbis come through our, our store in over three days, three to four days. So I have a, actually a time lapse of the store and it looks like a train station. It's just <laughs> crazy video. <laughs> I was, I was, I was doing two hats a minute about and we had like 10 people in the store. Um, so, so right now in, in the Chabad world, we are very well known all mm-hmm. across the world. A lot of them come from Israel. A lot of them come from all over the place. Um, so that was a huge thing that like in, in the, in the Chabad world, we're very well known. Um, but we, we've still yet to break through in the, in the yeshivish world. Like that's still untapped. And, and partial reason for that is because, you know, opening a, a new store, the only way I think to grow in the Jewish world is to open more stores and opening stores takes a lot of, um, resources, you know, from brain space, manpower, money, uh, just to expand, you know, you have to go open a store. Um, whereas the bigger part of our business right now is our online sales. Um, which doesn't take a lot of money and resources to grow. So we could be selling uh, tomorrow. I could sell 10 times as much as I sold today and I won't need to hire any extra people. I won't need to do anything extra. So right now we're focusing on that, which is the biggest part of our business. And, uh, you know, God willing, when we have more resources to spread around, we, we plan on opening more stores. Um, we've gotten a lot of people like that, that big suit chain, suit shop chain that you mentioned. Um, and they've reached out to us. Other companies reached out to us. We want to sell your hats. You're the only other brand besides the big brand that has some sort of name, that has some sort of, uh, you know, reputation of being good quality. And we've gotten a lot of people, um, you know, reach out to us that they want to sell our hats. But right now, and also in the non-Jewish world, by the way, a lot of hat shops reach out to us from uh, Georgia, from Texas, that are like, hey, we want to sell your hats. Um, but right now, we're not looking to, to wholesale. Um, we have a certain business model right now, which is direct to consumer, and, and we want to keep it that way. And we want to uh, for right now, at least, that's the plan. And if we're going to open any stores, it's going to be our branded store. Um, you know, our store in Montreal looks exactly like our store in New York. We have a brand. We have a style. Um, so that that's how we're keeping it right now. 
how much, what percentage of your business is Jewish, you know, the Jewish crowd looking for the Jewish hat to wear as, uh, and, and what percentage not? So in the beginning, it was like a 90% or 99%. Yeah. And as time goes on, it keeps getting smaller and smaller. So even though the business is growing, even though we're selling more hats to the Jewish world, um, but as a percentage of our business, it just keeps shrinking. So right, um, right now, I would say it's probably around 10%. Okay. Um, but yeah, most of our business is, is just okay. just online. So tell, tell I mean, me we about do have that. in our store in New York, in our store in New York, 50% of our walk-ins are not Jewish. So okay. we actually have a lot of people taking the subway from the Bronx, coming from Manhattan. So it's, and, and the funny thing is that everyone's shocked. So the Jewish people that are there are shocked to see that there's non-Jewish people there. And when they come into our store, they see all these colorful hats. They're like, who's buying these colorful orange hats, red hats? And then they see a non-Jewish person. They're like, oh, I didn't know that you guys wear hats. And then the non-Jewish people who know us from Instagram, and they see Jamie Foxx, whatever, they come in. They're like, what are all these Jewish people here? And they see a little bar mitzvah kid getting his first hat. And it's actually a really nice, uh, you know, you know, because in Crown Heights, there's there's Jewish people and there's black people. That's most of the demographic. And we live side by side, but we don't really mix. We have our own stores. We have our own stuff. And here's like one store where all of a sudden you have something in common and you have a 50-year-old uh, guy giving tips to a little bar mitzvah kid telling him, oh, this, this is how you treat your hat. I've been wearing hats for 30 years. Wear a hat, you do this, do that. And like, it's, it's actually really nice. That's great. Unity, a little bit of unity, uh, you know, hopefully yep. take that, that microcosm and, and bring it up. <laughs> That's exactly. These, in these days, we really need it. Yeah, for sure. So, um, tell me about the branding. I, the the Italian does every hat company have to have an Italian name to make it, or what? What's the idea? Um, no. So, I mean, you know, when we started, our original plan was to go after the Jewish world, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we wanted to. We I guess we chose an Italian name because we wanted it to be uh, similar to the to the people we were going up against. Um, also, I speak Spanish. I spent two years in yeshiva in Argentina. And okay. Bellissimo means beautiful in Spanish and in Italian. So I kind of like knew that, that word. Um, so yeah, that was, that was why we did it. Cause we wanted to brand ourselves as like Italian. And now we actually do make our, our hats in Italy. Um, but for, you know, a lot of our other hats we make here in Canada, like it, it doesn't necessarily have to be an Italian name, but, um, you know, we, we got attached to it. So <laughs> we're sticking with it. Very good. Very good. Okay. Now uh, let's go back to, um, let's talk about like the root over here. What is the significance? If you started making hats because you see you're, you're, the original impetus was you, the, what they're selling here in Montreal is not a pro, is not what the Jewish world is looking for. What is the, what's the meaning of a hat? Why are, why do we see Jewish people, mostly Torah observant people, why are they wearing hats? Well, there's a few reasons. Um, one is for modesty. Um, that's why they're black hats specifically. Um, and also, you know, we cover our heads. As a show of respect, so wearing a yarmulke, we wear that all day, whether we're walking around, doing business, doing whatever. Um, in times when you're when you're making a blessing or or praying or learning, you know, it's customary to wear a second covering on top of that, which is a hat. Um, you know, a lot of uh, I, I could speak for for Chabad because I'm Chabad. A lot of Hasidic people wear strimals on Shabbos, you know, the big furry hats. And um, our Rebbe, the last of the seven Lubavitch Rebbes, you know, was more modern and he decided i'm not going to put on a shrine i'm going to wear a fedora which in those days was the common man's hat everybody wore a fedora you didn't leave the house without a fedora mm-hmm. um and and he decided he's going to wear a fedora because he was the rebbe of the people he wasn't you know above like oh i'm I'm going to preach to you from above he was more about like let's let's have a far bring and everyone knows about a far bring in that you know he would sit with his with his followers and and you know not chat but you know inspire them in a way of like 
of, you know, that he's on, on their level. Um, so that's, I'm actually very thankful because I get to wear a nice fedora. I don't have to wear one of those furry hats, which are also nice, but just, uh, you know, I'm happy. <laughs> I like the fedora. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's maybe, you know, maybe, you know, another reason I don't know why we wear fedoras, but it's tradition and, you know, Jewish people, we take tradition very seriously. So, um, Dude, you know, you're telling me something. You're telling me something I didn't know before. Before the last Lubavitcher Rebbe, there was, they used to wear the Strymuch? They used to wear the furry hats? Yes. Oh, yes, okay. they did. So, so the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe who came to America and who, you know, his last days were in America, he wore a Strymuch. Um, it was only the, the seventh uh, one of the Rebbe's that decided he's not going to wear a Strymuch. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay. Very good. Wow. Okay. So I wonder how, how it developed in the other communities that weren't Chabad. Would they also wear a similar, you know, there's a slightly different variation and you only know once you, <laughs> once you, once you see the right. comparison, once you sit so, next to each other, you see, oh, they're wearing a slightly different style. People than- ask me, <laughs> people ask me all the time, oh, why don't you make uh, this hat? Why don't you make Bell's hats? Why don't you make that hat? And I tell them like, for me to make a Bell's hat is, is just as good as a non-Jewish person making a Chabad hat. Like, if you don't know the, the slight differences, you're way off. You make a hat that's a, a half an inch too high, no one's going to buy it. So like, <laughs> this guy, he, he told me, I'm the 20th person trying to sell hats to Jewish people. He's like, it doesn't work. It's because you have to know the nuances. And you have to know that uh, if, if this is a little bigger, all of a sudden, oh, you're so religious. And if it's a little smaller, oh, you're so chilled, you're so cool. Like, these guys don't get it. And 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 by the way, <laughs> what I came to realize selling hats is that it's not that we know something that the rest of the world doesn't. It's that we have this stick in our head that doesn't like, you know, now that I saw hats to many people, I'm like, why was I so particular that the hat has to look like this and look like that? It's a hat. There's guys that own 20 hats. Every hat looks a little different, fits a little different. Um, also, like when you wear a hat every single day, like like a, a from person, a religious person wears a hat every single day, you get used to it sitting on the, a certain spot. And if you go to buy a new hat and it doesn't sit on that exact spot, you're like, it's wrong. It fits wrong. The truth is your hat shrunk a little bit. Maybe you need a hat that's a little bigger, but that's, uh, you know, I, I, w- I was the same way when I was uh, just a consumer, but now I have a little more of an understanding of the whole picture. And I realize that sometimes people want a hat that sit on a certain place and it's not actually the right place where it should be sitting. They're just, they're used to that and their hat shrunk and they're wearing it there. Um, but, you know, it's, it's very exciting. I love coming into work every day. I love what I do. Um, I'm learning every day. You know, I do the designs. I don't have a designer. Um, I do the designs, I do the marketing, you know, we do everything ourselves and it's all, you know, we're learning it on the job and we love it and we love our community. We have our, our customers call up our store and they, they ask for our, our employees by name and they know, oh, I like to deal with Mendy. I like to deal with Shuey. They all have their people that they like to deal with. Um, and uh, we really enjoy it. Beautiful. So now with that insight about the, the meaning of a hat for a Jewish person, what is, what do you think of the appeal, this, this very broad appeal that you have, which is now 90% of your business is for the non-Jewish world? What, what's with hats? I mean, I grew up, I grew up in a, in a, as a non-observant in, in California and hats were not, I mean, baseball caps were, were a thing, right? But hat, right. fancy hats, you know, like the gentleman's hat, that was not a thing. That was the thing for, you know, dressing up. <laughs> maybe maybe right. not even that. So how did it become a thing? What, what's the, what do you think is the appeal nowadays for, for the larger world? So hats... Hats in general are making a comeback. Um, and in the beginning, when I started this business and I said that people told me, oh, you're just in the business. So you think it's making a comeback because you're seeing everything. <laughs> um, but, you know, now now I've actually got some concrete evidence that it's making a comeback. And that yeah. is that the, there are new companies emerging now who make hat making equipment. 
which means that there's so many people making hats that there's a demand for the equipment to make hats. So there's, you know, these, a lot of equipment is like extinct. You can't buy it anywhere because they don't make it. The companies that used to make those equipment went out of business when people stopped wearing hats. In the 60s, when JFK came out, he was the first president not wearing a hat. That was kind of a, a fashion turning point where people are like, oh, maybe we don't need to wear hats. Before then, you didn't leave your house without a hat. You weren't a gentleman. Um, so it is making a comeback in all different demographics. Um, you could see, uh, like Justin Bieber wearing hats all the time. And he's, uh, you know, I mean, even when he was a little kid, now he's not that little, but a couple of years ago, you would see him wearing custom hats. That's so definitely making a comeback. But interestingly enough, the demographic, my main demographic, um, are people that much like, you know, the religious Jews, they never gave up the hats. And the guys that I sell hats to have been wearing hats for 30 years. And, uh, they have collections that date back, you know, and, and these are like mostly Southern, uh, church going, uh, guys who like to get dressed up, very well dressed, dressed men. They, you know, they're very into their, what they're wearing, their suits, their, their, uh, you know, pocket squares and their hats and they're very into it. Um, so, you know, I like it because I'm dealing with, uh, with the demographic that, that knows something about hats as opposed to some of these other people who are just starting to wear hats. You see a lot of women. I even see very uh, rich uh, celebrity women. I, I see their hats that they're wearing, and I look into them, and I'm like, it's a cheap uh, H&M $20 floppy wool hat. Like, it's, it's not, you know, they don't, they don't even get it. Um, so I like that I'm dealing with a demographic who understands hats and understands quality because then they appreciate us. Otherwise, they're like, oh, why should I buy your hat? There's one on Amazon for $30. Right. You have to know the difference. This was handmade. This is made of high-quality high stuff that's going to last longer, that's going to hold its shape, that's going to hold its, its look. So... So yeah, that's that's what's going on in the world of hats. Great. You you focus on men's hats, right? Right now, mostly men's hats. Um, we we're kind of known as a men's brand. All our hats are unisex, so we do have women buying our hats. Um, but just our our branding is kind of like focused towards hats. Uh, so we're actually um releasing a woman's line this year oh. in in collaboration with a woman. So she's gonna kind of be the face of the. So otherwise, it's like why is a men's brand selling women's hats? You know, right. so it's like. We're going to be releasing a women's line okay. specifically for women. Okay. What is the, what's the hardest part of your job? <laughs> hardest part of my job. Um, well, it changes as the business grows. There's, there's different things. Things that used to be hard are, are, are now easy and uh, there's constant challenges. So, um, you know, we got comfortable in a certain space and now we're, we're growing and now we're, leaving our comfort zone. Every time you grow, you leave your comfort zone and you find new challenges. Um, so yeah, I mean, right now it's, it's growth, um, you know, how to grow. You don't want to, you don't want to ruin what you already have, but at the same time, you don't want to stay in the same place. You want to constantly grow. Um, so we expanded our, you know, for a long time, it was just me and my brother. And then, and then for another long time, it was me, my brother and one employee. And now we have, now we have three employees. Um, but besides employees, just growing, um, you know, investing in ourselves, investing in, in new new ideas that we have. Um, if it's whether it's high tech ideas or we're actually opening a factory, uh, which is a big deal. Um, we we got very lucky. We found someone who had a whole factory's worth of equipment. Um, he used to make hats years ago, and and one day he decided, oh, I'm sitting on all this equipment. Let me sell it. So he listed it on eBay. I reached out to him. I told him, take everything down. We're buying everything. So that's negotiated price. We just said we're taking everything. No, that's going to be in New York. We're opening it in New oh, York. Got it. So, so we bought all the equipment. He, he actually refurbished it all for us. So that was part of the deal because he's very handy with these, with, you don't really have people that know how to work it. So he refurbished all of it. They look like brand new machines, but they're hundred years old. Um, and we have all the equipment now and now we're just working on the space, leasing the space and the raw materials and training people in. 
So in the next couple of months, hopefully we'll have our own factory up and running. Um, You know, we didn't do this to cut margins. It wasn't a margin situation. It was more about supply chain. I don't know if you know the supply chain these days is very unreliable and nobody's able to get stuff to sell. So we wanted to own, to be in control of our own supply chain. Um, And yeah, we really love, um, you know, making videos about our factory and explaining about, you know, how things are made. So we, we think if we have a place of our own in Brooklyn, um, you know, we could really showcase that and we want to have people be able to come in and make their own hats. We're thinking of doing wow, some sort of like a, cool. a day, yeah. a day activity where you come in and, and you get to actually make your own hat and then leave with your hat that you made and designed. Um, so yeah, we have, we have a lot of ideas. We're actually growing in a lot of directions. So it's on one hand, we don't want to spread ourselves too thin because there's only so much you can focus on, but at the same time, we have so many ideas that we constantly, um, you know, come up with new ideas and, and the way we, we believe just like, you know, you come up with an idea, execute. You don't have to think about it too long. Don't, it won't be perfect, but if you just sit on ideas, it doesn't go anywhere. You know, we, we've had ideas that we had, for example, our 3D studio on our website. That was an idea from, from day one. That was our idea. And, uh, we only implemented it, let's say three years in. And once we did, we were so happy we did. And we're like, why didn't we do this sooner? So, so our, you know, our motto is you have an idea, you know, take the first step, implement, start implementing it, start working on it right away. And just, so we're, we're going in many different directions. We don't know what's going to be the thing that tips the scale, but, um, you know, I currently have a deal, a contract sitting by Floyd Mayweather, um, that he may or may not sign. I don't know. It's up to him. Um, but, uh, we spent a couple hours with him in his house in Las Vegas and we showed him our hats and we told him what we're doing and he said he wants to be part of it. So, you know, we had a lot of back and forth. And now he has a contract, and uh, if he signs it, that could be very big for us. Um, so, but if it I doesn't, mean, we're moving on. Okay. Yeah. I mentioned uh, there's so many now, new things that opened up. Before you, you open the factory in, in, in Brooklyn, up until now, you have to source from Italy? Is that, and, or then make it from the other factories? factories so other factories, yeah. We make, in, we make in Italy and in Canada. Okay. So we use, we use different factories. And in Italy itself, we use a few factories for different hats that we sell. Got it. Okay. Now, what is the impact? How do you measure the impact? Let's say you go into a contract with a celebrity and they, they, what there's, they're putting on all their social media channels that they're, you know, they're wearing these hats and they talk about the hats or whatever they talk with you or maybe they make it. It's like, what, how can you measure the impact of the celebrity on your sales? Well, so far we haven't made any official collaborations with celebrities, Mm -hmm. so we never had to measure it because we didn't have to pay anybody. Um, but for example, with Floyd Mayweather, we're planning on doing a, a capsule collection where it's going to be his name on it. So it's mm-hmm. going to be very easy to, to see because if anyone yeah. buys that hat, that's his hat. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, there are ways, if, if you do want to do collaborations, there are ways to do that. It's very simple to, you know, run ads with a certain celebrity. You could track the people that came in from those ads, but we've never done that. Any shout outs we got, any publicity we got was, uh, was free. It was just because, you know, they like our hats or, you know. Did you see a spike? Like if somebody would start wearing your hats and say, hey, this is Bellissimo, I love Bellissimo, however they say it. Did, mm-hmm. did you see a spike that you could measure based on that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. it, there's for sure, especially Jamie Foxx. He was one of our first big celebrities that we got. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what we found is that when people find us for the first time online, how do they know we're not a scam? How do they know we're not some Chinese company selling them junk or not selling them? There's a lot of Facebook ads that I see using my pictures and, and I know that they're a scam. If people buy it, they're not going to ship them anything. Um, but by having, by having a celebrity, a well-known celebrity shout out your brand, 
it, it skips, you know, the person goes straight to, do I want to buy this or not? They don't need to think, could I trust it? They know if Jamie Foxx gives his approval, they must be a trustworthy brand. They must be a real company. So it does help for that, for, for, you know, the brand uh, recognition and. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So now another question is in the, you, you mentioned that you guys are doing everything. Like you have to, you have to track all of the finances. You have to talk about, you know, track the, come up with the marketing strategies and, and execute yeah. them and, and the designing of the hats. And really, you really, all, how do you like, you don't outsource anything to people that are experienced in those, <laughs> you know, that are specialized in those areas. How do you not, I, I can't imagine doing that. Like <laughs> I know my role. So, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It's hard, but um, we've tried, we've tried bringing in uh, designers and it just didn't work. I mean, they just weren't better than we were. You know what I mean? Okay. And, um, and it's taking more time and like, and I, I think marketing is the one thing that we naturally have, I guess, because, um, we hired a marketing company and I was so happy. Like I used to do all the Instagram posts so every day. I'll start my day. The first hour was just focusing on what am I going to post on Instagram? Um, and that's something we started from day one. So before we even had sales, we had Instagram followers. So we were just very consistent about posting online and our Instagram, even though we don't have a crazy number of followers, cause all our, all our followers are real but the impact it has is very strong because they're real interested people. Um, so at one point we hired an agency to take over our, our Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, that went for, for a couple months and they killed our engagement. Like we were looking at how many views we were getting, how many interactions. And it just, it went down because they were like making us these like templates and they scheduled the posts a month in advance. And they, you know, so I took it back and I told them, okay, we're taking this over again. Um, I actually hired my little sister and she, she runs my social media now. So she goes into the store in New York and, and makes my employees dance and uh, talk and, and, and do stuff. And she posts like two reels a day. And, and since then our engagement has been shooting up again because people are like seeing the faces of, of my employees, hearing what's yeah. going on, hearing about what went out of stock, what went in stock, what's new, what we're working on, what we're shipping, like all the behind the scenes and stuff like that. So, so I feel like that's something that we have. Um, we're just naturally good at it. So. If there was one thing I was going to work on and let everything else, you know, give everything else to other people, I would focus on, on the marketing. Um, you know, getting the celebrities, all those stuff, it, it's work. It didn't just happen by mistake. You know, we, we went after certain celebrities. Um, Did you have to go after Jamie Foxx? Uh, or he just picked it up? Jamie Foxx was actually a business partner with a friend of mine. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, I, I did have to finagle to get to him. Like, originally I was going to ship him a hat and then I'm like, look, I'm going to be in LA. Maybe I could drop it off. And he's like, okay, he said you could drop it off. Here's his address. And we went to his house and spent time with him. Um, so yeah, he was, he was super nice. So that was like, I wouldn't say a mistake, but you know, I kind of had to like, you know, incentivize my friend to let me make a hat for Jamie. And then once he let me make a hat for Jamie, asked him if I could drop it off. So that, that worked out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, from there, we were able to get a lot of lower end people like just show them like, Oh, look, Jamie Foxx loves our hats. And they're like, Oh, I also want one, you know, and like, so that was easier. Um, but like someone like Snoop Dogg, for example, I flew to LA twice to meet him. Um, and the first time, like you can't, no one, even I was in touch with his manager or whatever. No one could control him. Like, Oh, he decided to leave. He's on a plane now, <laughs> you know? So like, um, you know, I ended up getting a hat to him. He really liked it. Um, but yeah, again, Floyd Mayweather, that was also another thing. Like, he's like, Oh, come, I'm in Vegas. Come to my house. You know? So we, we showed up, we spent five hours with him. He wanted to to get to know us before he spoke business. So we just hung out with him, played cards, talked politics, talked religion, 
he wanted to speak about everything, just play basketball with him. He gave us a tour of his house, of his cars. He has like, you know, a whole garage full of cars. Um, and then like at four or five o'clock in the morning, he's like, okay, I like you guys. Let's do something, you know? Um, <laughs> but you know, that was, that was interesting. That was, that's an interesting business meeting over there. <laughs> yeah. not, your tip, not your typical. <laughs> no, he's like working out at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, I would hope that when you, when you open up that uh, factory, not only will you have a tour for, for the people that, that want to make a custom hat, but also there could be a tour for just people curious about how, how the process works. Yeah. I, I bring my family. Definitely. It's you know? very interesting. If you follow, if, I don't know if you have Instagram, but if you follow us on Instagram, I, I post a lot from the factory oh, over here in Montreal because it's it's super interesting. It's like, yeah. you know, I find it very interesting. It's not like uh, some T-shirt made in China or whatever. It's like it actually takes craftsmanship. And and that's that's why you don't – that's what people ask me all the time. Why don't you make it in China? Because, you know, these techniques are passed down from one milliner to the next for hundreds of years. And, like, you can't just make a machine and copy it. Like, they won't come out good. They take a lot of – even though there's machinery that we're using, it's not automatic. It all takes, you know, the person who's doing it has a big effect on how the hat comes out. What, uh, what, would, what advice would you give to somebody who has an idea of some kind of physical product? Because that's really where you are. And they want to they execute. They want to take it from idea to execution. What, what, is the, what is the most important quality or strategy that that, that person needs to pursue? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, um, you're saying like if someone comes up with an invention, that's like a whole. Nother, yeah, yeah. I'm sure um, there's a lot of people out there. You know, maybe even people that don't have a. I think everyone says, "I wish there would be." You know, they go over a pothole in the street. They, I wish there were all the. You know, I wish I would own the construction company that uh, that fills in the potholes. So. Every industry is the. Every industry is different. You have to research. I'm constantly learning. Um, you know, especially opening a factory. That's you know, even though I'm in a factory every day, I'm in the factory here in Montreal every day. But even so, you know, there's a lot of, of learning to do. You just have to be, you know, as I do as much research as possible. Um, by now already, I already know how to make a hat myself. I can make one from start to finish. I've used all the, all the pieces of equipment. Um, but, you know, I didn't know that coming in. Um, I didn't know I would ever go into manufacturing. That was always like, I don't want to do manufacturing because, you know, in fashion, it's all about the brand. It doesn't matter where you make it. Do you know where Gucci makes their, their stuff? Do you know which factory in China they make it in? No one cares. It has the name on it. They can make it in 30 different factories. You're buying the name. So, you know, from day one, the first thing, the only thing we spent money on before we started this company was our logo. You know, we reached out to a guy that we knew was very good, very talented. We begged him to give us a good deal. We're like, look, we don't have any sales right now. Um, give us a good deal and we'll use you in the future. And he actually did give us a good deal until today. I'm constantly using him for website designs, for flyer designs, for all, you know, all different stuff. And he's very talented and he gave us a good deal. That's I think the original it was like $500. logo. Dollars. That that's the logo. So that's okay. one of our logos. Oh. Yeah, he didn't just give us a logo. He gave us a whole brand guide. He gave us uh-huh. two logos. Um, so you know we use them for different applications. Like on the hat, we have like a signature. Can't see it. Can't see it. So this is oh. one of the hats. Nice. Um, so you see, unique. that's like the Bellissimo uh-huh. signature logo. Then we have in the hat. That's like the full logo. Um, so Stylish. he made us a whole brand guide with our colors, with our fonts, with. Um, so that's the first thing we, we did and, and we invested in a brand, which, which we find is very powerful because, you know, when we're selling hats, for example, in the Jewish community to, to people who are stuck on a certain brand, um, you know, many hat shops try to do that, like go to Italy, make their own hat and people don't trust it. Like uh, it's some random name, like, yeah. and then if it's not good next year, you're going to change the name and sell me another hat. You know, how do I know? So the fact that we have a brand and we have a name and we're saying we're standing behind this name. 
So they know that, that we're not going to sell them a piece of junk because then we're not going to buy that name anymore. And this is what we stand behind. Um, so, so yeah, branding is very important and I didn't want to get into manufacturing, but you know, we see that it's necessary right now. It, it's really not to save a couple dollars on the hat. You know, that's not why we're doing it. Let me throw you a curveball here. You grew up, you, ta- you, ta- you mentioned for a moment that you, you spent time in Yeshiva in Argentina. Is there anything that you can point out from your upbringing as Chabad in Yeshivas, and especially with that, that Chabad focus of, of reaching out and being, you know, opening your doors to everybody? Is there anything that, that in that upbringing that helps you in a way that you can pinpoint in what you're doing now professionally? 100%. Uh, Mifzayim is outreach. That, you know, from even before Bar Mitzvah, I was going on Mitzvah with older, with older Bakram, older guys. Can you explain? Um, and then once I was Bar Mitzvah. What, what so, are Mitzvah? So Mitzvah is yeah. outreach. The most basic is Friday. We have a shorter day in Yeshiva. So um, instead of just going home or whatever, we would go, you know, to Manhattan or wherever it was and just ask people, excuse me, sir, are you Jewish? I'm sure you've heard that if you've been anywhere. There's Jewish kids on, on Hanukkah. Are you Jewish? Would, did you like Menorah? Would you like a Menorah? So what we would do is every Friday we would go and ask people, do you want to put on tefillin? Um, and then we had people that we were our regulars. We had a whole route. Okay, this is my route, and these are the people I need to stop by, go to their offices and put tefillin on them. And then once we're done, look for new people. Um, so Mifzayim, I think, is the best training. So like in my yeshiva where I went when I grew up, we didn't learn English. So we didn't learn math. We didn't learn ABCs. We didn't learn any English. Um, and, you know, that definitely gives you a disadvantage if you're trying to be a lawyer or a doctor. And you want to go to college. Um, but to be an entrepreneur, it's, you know, you come out with extreme chutzpah. Um, you learn how to take no's, like I'm Mitzayim. And, and like, it was just ingrained in us. You go to someone's door, you knock on their office, some big lawyer in Manhattan, the top floor, or whatever. And the guy tells you, get out of here and never come back. You know, you're coming back next week. You know, you're coming back and you're going to knock on that door until the guy gives in. And that's something that like, you know, like some things that are like basics for me, like I see on, on Instagram and I see stuff, all these business coaches giving people advice. And I'm like, this is elementary. This is basics. Like, like you don't get, you know, disheartened because someone tells, you no. for example, this guy in the factory, right. When I asked him, the first thing he said is, yeah, yeah, you're the 20th guy. Like, like, sa- like save me the headache. Like, I know, I know you're still already. It's not going to happen. And like, I was determined and I'm like, you know, so it really teaches you um, also that like nobody's, I, I was never starstruck when I met Jamie Foxx and I met, I was never starstruck by these guys because you learn that people are just people, you know, and like, you know, we would go do Mithayim and some guy who's a billionaire, you know, you have, you have, uh, you have Buckram that go with uh, Ronnie Proman, who's a billionaire. They go to be his minion or whatever. And like, you just learn that like people are just people, you know, and everybody's, everyone's just a person, talk to them like a person. And, um, you know, it's a, I think, I think that was definitely something that helps in, an entrepreneurship, even when I opened my restaurant, I was a 19 year old kid and I was going around to investors asking them for money. It takes a lot of chutzpah, a lot of, uh, you know, you need to, you need to have a backbone. I just, I was straight out of yeshiva and I'm telling them, yes, I'm confident that I'm going to make money or whatever. Like it's, uh, so that's definitely something that, (laughs) that we gain. The confidence, the confidence actually brings the success, you know, that's in in a way, you know, in in a, in a way that we can understand on a, on a, tangible level and also on a spiritual level we could talk about that another time. yeah like i I, <laughs> I feel people are just very afraid and i think i think in the world a lot of people like have these ideas in their head everyone's a everyone's an expert you know why would i be the designer leave that to the experts it's all baloney everyone's full of it everyone's pretending the experts are all pretending uh, i hired experts and i didn't like what they came up with and i showed them what i wanted and they're like okay yeah we could sketch what you want 
I'm like, thank you. I could do it myself. I don't need you to sketch it for me. It was my idea, you know? So like, I believe a lot of it, the same goes with marketing, these marketing experts. Oh, I'm a marketing expert. I could teach you how to this and that and that. People come to me all the time and like, your marketing is amazing. Who runs your social media for you? I'm like, I run my social media myself. Like, it's incredible. It's like, there's no, stop thinking everyone's such an expert and oh, who am I to do that? I'm not an expert. I didn't go to college for, for marketing. I didn't go to college for this and that. Everyone could do it, you know, and that's something I, I literally look at. I mean, I'm sure there are certain people who are experts in certain things. You're not just going to wake up tomorrow and become a, a you know, a artist, a Monet or whatever, but people have talents and people are better than you at certain things. You have to know that and you should try to, you know, hire those people and get those people to do those jobs that they're better at. But at the same time, you don't need to be a business expert to start a business. You know, you start it and you learn and, uh, you know, we're always learning and we're always making mistakes and, uh, you know, the same thing like the some people are afraid of growing their company because they're very comfortable being in a small business where they have two employees, but they're afraid, who am I to be a CEO of 100 people? When you get there, you'll, you know, and the journey is what makes you grow and makes you fit that, fit that spot. So Beautiful. I think that's very important. Levy, thank you so much. This is, a, I can't think of a better way to end and our time's up anyway. But it's very, very inspiring Perfect. to learn to to hear about how how you built what you built and how you're how you're so involved with it and how you're. Uh, I love that last message about about the experts that made me laugh. Um, I really appreciate yeah. this, yeah, and I think a lot of people are going to benefit right. from this conversation. So thank you. My my pleasure. Onward and upward, mechayel elchayel. Amen. Thank you. You've just listened to another great episode of Our Tribe, the podcast, brought to you by the Podcast Fellowship and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein. Tune in each week, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe, the podcast. If you have any suggestions or questions, email us at ourtribe at podcastfellowship.org. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive.